welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago Day Eastside. How's everybody doing? Good, great, okay, terrible, all of the above. Um, Today we start a new series. All right, we got that echo gone? All right. (laughs) Today we hit a new series called Numa. And Numa in the Greek means spirit. And so we're going to hit the Holy Spirit. And today is just a very rough introduction into the Holy Spirit. And then we'll go deeper into it. Um, But there's a text I want you to read. This isn't, this is just a piece of the text, but I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 19, Paul says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why this series? My contention is, is that we're here because no matter where you're at with God, we all need more of him. We need more of his love. We need more of his mercy. We need more of his grace. We need more of his power. Particularly in a society that we live in. A society that is racially charged. We need the presence of God. We need his spirit operating in our life. Our society is charged racially, socially, politically, the divisions, economically. In fact, I was reading, I was uh, having a cup of coffee and I saw the Willamette Week and I saw this heading and it caught me off guard and it was called, I moved to an apartment building at the edge of Portland to help refugees, but they can't afford to live here anymore. Great read. I said, D.L. Mayfield. Let me see what she has to say. And then it hit me. She goes to Eastside. (laughs) Where's Danielle? Is she here? Oh, my word. Y'all, listen, one of our own. (laughs) I'm reading this article without any awareness that it's you who wrote this article. What a fantastic article. You need to read this in the Willamette Weekly. Super challenging. Um, I love about the Af- Afghanistan kid that knocks on your window with the t-shirt that says U- U.S. 
what is it, United States of Awesomeness. <laughs> Great. But our church, we all need the presence of God. I'm always struck at Imago Day, oftentimes the influence, things that I hear about that's going on in my church. Things that I see on TV or hear on the radio, and I'm like, Imago, really, we're doing that? I had no idea. Sometimes we get more credit than we deserve. And it is only because of the Spirit of God at work, the kingdom of God breaking through, because of the obedience of what God has done through our body. So I don't know how you today come to the Spirit. I don't know what your church grid or experience has been. Um, you may come to the Spirit as a cessationist that no longer believes miracles and signs and wonders no longer exist. They died at the death of the last apostle. You may come at the Spirit as sort of, I'm open to this, but I'm real leery and cautious. I don't want this hyper charismatic stuff going on in the church where people are falling on the ground and trembling. Right? I've seen that. Some of you are Pentecostal that believe right that the true essence of the spirit is when you get baptized by the spirit and start speaking in tongues and tongues is the evidence that you've been filled with the spirit and for others you might be a charismatic that believes tongues is a sign gift that god doesn't give to everyone but it is a gift that god uses but there are many other gifts i don't know how you come to the spirit but one thing i think for all of us Whatever theological presuppositions you come, whatever tra church tradition you come from, I think there's one thing that we can all agree on, and that is, is that we need more of God. That there is more of God's presence for us to experience. And it happens because of this new covenant promise that God said he would do from the Old Testament to the New Testament that he would send his spirit. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, here's Paul rebuking the Galatian church, and he says, You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you had heard? Are you foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you trying to finish by means of the flesh? This is what Paul's saying. He's preaching against this sort of this anti-gospel that basically says you get saved by works and you, uh, you get saved by grace and you remain saved by works. And he says the fact that you got saved, which I'll get into that here in just a little bit, the fact that you got saved by the Spirit, are you going to now try and prefer, perfect what the Spirit has done through works? He says, no, he goes, the way you came into the kingdom, the way you came into Jesus, the way you fundamentally understood the gospel was by his spirit. And the way you continue in the gospel, the way you, the way the kingdom continually breaks through in your life and in your community is by the spirit. So what he started in the spirit, he perfects in the spirit. And what had happened to this Galatian church is, is that 30, literally 30 plus years after Jesus had, had, had died and resurrected, 
And this anti-gospel that had crept into the church that was basically saying, we're, we're saved by justification, but we remain saved through sanctification. And it was nonsense. Paul says, the way you came here, or the way you came into the kingdom of God was by the Spirit, and the way you remain in the kingdom of God is completely, solely, and utterly by the Spirit. And so the work that God wants to do in our life, through our family, through our work, through our kids, through our church, through our community, happens by the Spirit. And so here's the good news. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, this is the one verse that I think God wants to beat into us as we kind of work our way through the Numa series. And it's the promise that is fulfilled, that was fulfilled at the cross. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will remove from your heart a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In Acts 2.17, the fulfillment, when the early church is birthed, it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And then in verse 38 and 39, Peter after preaching a powerful resurrection sermon uh, that launches the early church, in verse 38 and 39, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, for all who are far off. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And do you hear the beauty and the power of the spirit? The beauty and the power of the spirit is it's God at work in our life. It's him removing this heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. Now the beauty of that is is that it's God that does it. He says, I will. He doesn't say, we will. <laughs> this is the work of the Spirit. This gets to the very heart of the gospel and how people's lives are changed and transformed. Now, you might walk in here and say to yourself, you know, I want to serve God, but I don't think I can do it. Well, the good news is, is that you can't. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is, is that you can't do it, period. The fact that you, that the fact that you get saved is, is a work that God does in your life apart from you. That's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It comes without merit. You can't do anything. And as Oswald Chambers said, he said, the tragedy of many Christians is to put your work or to smuggle your work into God's perfect work. So the promise of the Spirit was that God would remove this heart of stone that was hard, that was cold, that was callous, that was indifferent to God, and he would flip it, change it, and do something counterintuitive to your own nature by giving you a heart of flesh to do what you were absolutely, utterly impossible, uh, that was impossible to do apart from his work, apart from his Spirit. And so... And so the pneuma, the spirit, God's work at 
at the most foundational level does three things. The first thing it does is that a new discovery happens. When God turns your heart from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, there's a new discovery that happens in the life of the Christian. You came to Jesus not because you were smart enough or perceptive enough to know him. You weren't smart enough. You weren't moral enough. You came to Jesus because of Jesus. <laughs> and to assume anything different is ridiculous. The new discovery, the fact that you had an epiphany that the light came on is because of God's grace and his grace alone. One minute you were doing your own thing and all of a sudden you entered the matrix. You took the pill. All of a sudden things began to make sense. When I was 19 years old, I, I, I grew up in Inglewood, California, predominantly black community. I've said this before, in the black community, one thing that I've learned, you almost have to get us unsaved to get us saved because we're very religious people, period. I was one of the few pagan families in the black community that did not go to church. So my friends were doing what I was doing. The only difference was, was that they went to church and I didn't go to church. And then at 19 years old, in between my freshman and sophomore year, doing my own thing, I have this radical encounter with God that flips my world upside down. A new discovery happened. One minute I'm smoking weed, chasing women, doing my thing. And next minute I'm, I, I want to do anything but that. And it was absolutely inexplainable because at that point, I hadn't even read a scripture yet. I hadn't even gone into a church yet. And yet, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, he says in verse 11 and 12, he says about this new discovery, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation. It is something that you that has got to be revealed to you. This is the promise of the spirit. This is changing your heart from that which is stone to that which is flesh. God revealing himself to you by his spirit, breaking up the sediments of your life to show you who he truly is. And so if you were thinking about Jesus today, the only reason that thought even entered your mind is because the spirit allowed you to take the pill. It allowed you to go down the rabbit hole and to show you how far it can go. And when you enter into the gospel by the spirit and you have this new discovery, how many of you know that that new discovery doesn't just start with salvation? It starts your whole life. Listen, trusting and relying and depending on the spirit is not science, it's art. Right? The work that you do is not science, it's art. How God works in you. I used to think, you know, I used to hear them old sayings, one hour a day keeps the devil at bay. 
right? Praying, getting the spirit, getting up early in the morning. And I like getting up early in the morning, but I used to think, unless you got up early in the morning and prayed one hour, you know, I used to get those scriptures. Could you not tarry for one hour? Jesus went to the mountain and you were sleeping in your bed? You won't answer your alarm clock? And then I realized that the Holy Spirit is far more artistic than he is scientific. And I realized that I was conveying and communicating and talking with God all the time throughout the day. Like we was having real conversations. And sometimes you don't get there until all hell breaks loose in your life and you let your hair down and have a real conversation with God. And it's the discovery of those moments that you begin to experience who he is in a new, fresh way. Because God wants you to have more more of his power, more of his love. He wants you to be more convinced of it. The discovery is not just for salvation. The discovery is him. He wants you to be convinced of his power, right? That he's got power to break whatever chains and shackles that you have in your life, that you don't think you can overcome the generational patterns and habits in your life, that you don't think you can overcome. God's spirit is enough. And so when you experience the promise of the Spirit, there's a new discovery that happens in your life that's inexplainable apart from the gospel. But not only a new discovery, here's what the Spirit also does. It gives you a new desire. A new desire. How do you overcome sin? By me giving you five verses on, on how that sin is wrong? Yeah, it's like me saying racism is wrong, and here's five Bible verses that prove it. That doesn't mean anything because your heart's going to resist that. It's like going to a park and seeing a sign that says, Do not walk on the grass. What do you want to do? Walk on the grass, right? The command of that sign ain't going to do anything to the heart. The only way you overcome one desire is to have a stronger desire for something else. That's how you overcome. That's how it's not legalistic, right? Me giving you Bible verses or me telling you shouldn't or giving you, you know, so a, a mandate on how to live and how to overcome this and the steps to do it, that ain't going to give you the real power. The real power is in Christ, giving you a greater desire to overcome one thing. We leave one thing, we give up one thing because we found the desire for something greater. And that desire comes from God. Do you know how liberating that is for all you evangelists out there that you can preach the gospel to the cows come home? But it is not in your technique to change people's hearts. It is the power of God changing people's desire. All you racial reconciliers, 
You can spend the rest of your days trying to convince people of their privilege and get frustrated that they don't get it quick enough. Can I tell you the freedom of the gospel is that you can preach racial reconciliation, but it is not on you to convince people. That's the spirit. You can preach the gospel to get people saved, but it is not on you to get them saved. It's God that changes the heart and gives new desire to see new things. You can't take somebody through your rules or education or your ability to, to pontificate on historical oppression. That's going to get people to get it. Now don't Get me wrong, pontificate. <laughs> Preach the gospel. But just know underneath all of this, it is the work of the Spirit. Your role as a believer, dealing with sin and addiction and struggles and whatever it is, pray, read, fast, get on your knees, repent for having your heart so cold, repent for, having, uh, for being an addict. But just know that even in all that, that in and of itself is not going to give you the true power to change those desires. It's God that does the work. And that's the liberating, freeing thing, is that you can get up off your knees. You can walk away after you done pontificated. You can, after you done preached, know that you did your thing. God ordains the means, which is you, but it's him who's the means. So part of the new promise, part of the new pneuma, part of the role of the spirit isn't that your eyes are open. I mean, that's, that's the new discovery. And it's the fact that God will give you a new desire. But the other thing is this, that God gives you a new delight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 and then verse 7 through 18. Listen to me. Listen to it real quick as I share it. It says this in verse 3. You show, now mind you, this is Paul writing, the Corinthian church Actually, 1 Corinthians, him writing because they were all divisive and quarreling over things. And by the time that they get to 2 Corinthians, things had calmed down. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 3. <laughs> My bad. If you had the Holy Spirit and knew the new discovery, you would have known this was 2 Corinthians 3. <laughs> Man, we got a ways to go. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 3. 3. It says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because it was glory, because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? 
For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have a hope, we are bold. We are, like, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made full. For, this, for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It, was not, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers your heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. I've heard one person say that the Holy Spirit is the hidden person of the Trinity because he brings so much glory to Christ. Here, Paul is talking about comparing Moses, right? And the new covenant to the old covenant. And he says, when you turn to the old covenant, the old covenant produces death. It is doing what it's supposed to do because that's the law. In other words, the law does not fix you. It's like if you had something wrong with your wrist and you went to a doctor and you weren't certain of what the problem was, but you went in to see the doctor and the nurse came in and did an x-ray on your wrist and then came back and said, the, the nurse says to you, hey, you have a hairline fracture. And this is before you even see the doctor. Now, if the nurse decides that they're going to work on your wrist, you might look at the nurse crazy because the nurse is certified to identify the problem, which is you have a hairline fracture. But the nurse is not certified to fix the problem. Right? She's not the physician. She only prepares you for the physician. And that's exactly what the law does. The law was never designed to fix you. It was only to identify what's wrong with you. The only way you can be fixed is through the new covenant, realities, the cross, the work of Christ, what he's done by the Spirit. And this is what Paul is getting at. So most of us struggle oftentimes with this notion because we don't fully, truly, utterly get the gospel. We struggle with sin in our heart. That sin creates guilt in our mind. We want to deal with that guilt because of sin. And what is the first thing we do? We create a law. I'm going to start going to church. I start reading my Bible. I need to get into a men's group. I need to start praying more. I need to get on my knees more. I need more of the spirit, right? We create whatever law we want to create to try and deal with the sin in our heart that creates the guilt. And we find ourselves living in this matrix of sin, guilt, law, sin, guilt, law, one year, five years, 10 years in this cycle. And the gospel comes to blow this whole thing up saying, yes, the law brings you to Christ, but it does not act as Christ. It shows you how sinful you are, but it can't fix the sin in you. Only the good news of the new covenant, Jesus Christ breaking in into our lives and into humanity, giving you the power to do what you can't do otherwise. Do you fully understand that Moses is dead?
And you will never feel security by reading your Bible. You will never feel more God's power because you pray or because you go to church. Right. It'll be inconsistent at best. But the good news of the gospel is, is that you are free in him where the spirit of the Lord is because the spirit highlights Christ and his work. There is liberty. There's freedom. There is good news. There's joy. There's a new delight. Now, I want you to see what this pneuma looks like in our life. Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 1, as I'm closing or wrapping up, starting in verse 1, starting in verse 11, Ephesians 1, it says, in him, all right, there's liberty, there's freedom, in him, we were also chosen, you didn't choose yourself, this new discovery is because of his work, not yours, this new delight comes from him, not you. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who worked out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. Do you know what that means? That power and security by the spirit is God's work and his work alone. So whatever is going on in your life doesn't shock God. There's nothing. I don't care how tough it is in your life. There's nothing spinning outside of God's control. God is using good and evil to accomplish his purposes in your life. And if you don't get bitter and you remain in it and allow God's grace to sustain you through it and give you enough perspective to look back, you'll see God's handiwork in it. How you needed that experience. You needed that moment. You needed that struggle. You needed whatever it was that you were shaking your fist at God at to take you ever more deeper into who he is. And he says in verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be, and here it is, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of our salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That is a lot of theological language. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> and we don't have enough time to unpack it all. But the Spirit is at work. He is removing that heart of stone and, give, and has given you a heart of flesh. It has created a new discovery, a new desire, a new delight. For what purpose? To what end? Verse 12 said that he might be for that all of this work might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 14 says, the deposit guaranteeing, the deposit is the spirit, our inheritance to the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Like all of this stuff that God is doing, he does it to bring glory to himself. Now, I don't 
know about you when you hear that word glory and God does everything to glorify himself it, may, it, it almost makes it sound like we serve this egotistical God like who would you know, who would do anything for his own praise right anybody that we know that does anything for their praise is egotistical at best and at worst is a megalomaniac And yet God says, I'm doing all of this in your life. This new covenant work, this new discovery, new desire, new everything in your life, right? It's heart of stone into a heart of flesh. I'm wanting to fill you with my power, my presence, my love for the purpose of what? For his glory. Now, why can God do that? But if we do it, we're egotistical. Well, God wants our glory to be found in him and for God to find any other glory outside of him would make him an idol worshiper glory means doxa it means weight it means significant it means worthiness for God that means him because is there anything more worthy than himself is there anything more glorious that God can look out outside of himself absolutely not so for us God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Jesus. And the only way we get to Jesus is through this old covenant promise that was fulfilled in Jesus, which is called the Spirit. And when we delight in him, when we find our joy in him, when we find our passion in him, when we do everything for him, God is most glorified. And so, and so all of this work, all of this commitment that God does, all of this work of the Spirit happens that God might be glorified. All of this new discovery, all of this new desire, all of this new everything that we are experiencing is culminating in experiencing the fullness, the power, the presence of God at a deeper level. And so as we walk through this NUMA series, the purpose of getting filled with God and wanting more of God is not to be filled with God and wanting more of God. The purpose of it is to bring glory to God, which is to be full of God and to want more of him. Let us pray. Today, God, there are people here that do not know you. Would you help them today? Would you take their heart of stone that has been resistant to you and would you give them a heart of flesh, a heart that wants you, that longs for you?
There are others here. Just because of the circumstances of life. They call on you. But they need more of you. They wrestle with you. They struggle with you. Today, would you strengthen them? Would you fill them today of, with more of you in your presence? Will you fill marriages up today? Would you fill families up? That single person on the fence, wrestling with their singleness today, feeling empty and bankrupt emotionally. Today, would you show up and fill them with your presence? Fill them up to overflowing. Would you be glorified in us, God, because our complete delight is in you? The things that we chase are nothing more than counterfeits to you. Things that we chase other than you are nothing more than Jesus substitutes. Can we exchange the substitute for the real thing? Can you smash every idol that we've placed in front of you? For some of us, it's our performance and moralism that's empty because it's inconsistent at best. For others, it's our pleasures and putting prerequisites on Jesus because it's Jesus and whatever it is that we feel we have to have to sustain us. God, may, may we do away with that today. May we look to you, that you perform for us. That in you, there is joy evermore. May you remove this heart of stone today. Even as your body was broken and your blood was shed and you were in that tomb, and yet you removed the stone away. That resurrection life may happen today as a Christian, as someone that encounters you. May we experience the fullness of resurrection life. That we no longer have to live in our dead tombs. Because you are not there. And you offer us freely new life. And so we come to you today. We partake of the bread. We drink of the wine. We celebrate. We ask for you to fill us to overflowing. We repent of anything that stands in the way of truly knowing and experiencing you. We come to you with empty hands. We come to you with a humble heart. In Jesus' name. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com.
Thanks for listening.